The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it you're a freak with a dark shameful secret but you're not the only one get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun now your healing has begun it's bad with money with gabe s done Hello and welcome to Bad With Money, a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. I'm excited today to talk about quitting. (laughs) Julia Keller, can you tell my audience who you are and what you do? I am a writer. I was a journalist for many years at the Chicago Tribune and now I write books. I wrote mystery books for a while. I have an an eight volume mystery series. And then I went back to nonfiction and I've written about, as you have already spilled the beans, quitting. Yeah, so the book is called Quitting. So what does it mean to quit? I have always felt that to call someone a quitter is about the worst thing you can possibly say. It's uh, maybe it just comes from, you know, being on on baseball teams and and I really love sports, playing and watching. And to call someone a quitter is just about the worst form of insult you can do. I mean, that's the kind of thing that would get you maybe in a scuffle. And I began to wonder why. And it's true that it's one of the worst things you can say about somebody. And I keep thinking, why? Why do we have certain standards of behavior? And if you fall short of them, you feel not only like you have let yourself down, you've let it, you've let the whole world down. There's a lot of shame attached to certain words. And the word quitter, for some reason, reasons that I explore in the book and that you and I will talk about really has all of this attached to it. And I think mm-hmm. it comes from from the time where we're, we're quite small, when the idea of not living up to some standard of behavior is just really kind of jammed down our throats and said, you must be this thing. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe people have been reconsidering the word quit or quitting because there's all that stuff about quiet quitting and there's all that stuff about the great resignation. Something I talk about in the book is quasi-quitting, which is very different. What I mean by that is if you don't like a situation, 
be it a relationship, be it uh, a, your your job, be it maybe a club you're in, maybe you meet with a book group and you're thinking, you know, I really wish we would we would read a lot more a lot a lot more Henry James, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot less Fifty Shades of Grey, whatever it might be. So try to change your situation. But it's funny because they're framing it as quiet quitting when it's just doing your job, like. <laughs> It's just doing your job. Like, I don't understand. Like, people yeah. have been doing their jobs for yeah. for all of time. Quasi-quitting is like when you're sort of, you're looking for something else, right? Or you're, yeah. Yes, yes. And you, when you can adjust things to make them the way you want them. If you don't like your situation, I mean, we, we do have that autonomy. I read, because I looked you up, that you were a cop reporter yeah. for a brief Crime period of time. reporter, okay. yeah. I bring that up because that's I began my career with that as well. And what we'd have to at four to midnight, I would have to make the police calls. And the reason I bring this up, okay, you know what I'm talking about. I would call all the little, you know, the main police for, and all the outlying, you know, the state police and all this, and say anything going on, yep. any, and 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 if there was some horrible tragedy, God forbid, I would report on that. I hated it. This, yep. you know, I wanted to be a writer. I fancied myself a writer, but I did it. I sat there and I did it and I did my job. And the reason I bring that up is because when I was reading about quiet quitting, I thought that's not okay to not do your job. That would be the equivalent of not making the calls. But what I did was I remember thinking, well, they have my body and I'll make these calls and I'll do my job, but they don't have my mind. Yeah. And I began plotting at that point too and thinking, okay, I'll do this job because I'm being paid for this. So, you know, I'm a I'm a person of integrity. I will do this. But this is not what I want to do. And I remember just actually having that thought. I was probably about 20 years old. And I said, I will do this, mm-hmm. but they don't have my mind because it was pretty pretty mindless job mm-hmm. unless there was uh, again you hope there wasn't a terrible event but there was sometimes i would hope there was a terrible event because just please give me something to do right and you think to yourself oh my god four dead thank you <laughs> <laughs> i know that's why i quit honestly that's why i quit crime journalism because i was like my brain is so twisted up and like i i remember in 2016 when trump won I was like, I remember being like, thank God I don't work as a journalist anymore. Thank God I'm not a reporter who has to who has to wade through all of this. I was so happy that I had quit being a journalist. And I remember thinking that there was a lot of narratives that I read that were like, the journalist is the only person who work who gets to the meat of the story. Like there are all these books that were like, you know, that I would read that would be so self righteous about journalism and about the 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 stuff that we have to see and like we see stuff no one should see. And I was like, yeah, no one includes me. I'd love to not see it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a very it's a particular kind of job, and I'm sure you have the same memories and stories that I do from having done it, you know, for whatever length of time, you do find yourself oddly happy about terrible things. And that's what I knew. There was kind of a twisted about it when you when a great story would mean when someone had was suffering. Someone was, you were sending it. I always say you see people at their worst possible moment. You see people at the worst moment of their lives when they have, you know, lost a child, when so many times having to deal with people. And I never knew what to say. I always felt, because I was there to get the story and you feel so compromised and a little Mm -hmm. shabby. Mm -hmm. I think about that, like whenever I see, you know, there's like a school shooting and then you see like reporters commenting underneath, like people would post like my, my friend died. Mm. And then you would see reporters underneath being like, Hey, I'm from ABC. Can you DM me? Blah, blah, blah. And people would be like vultures, but I'd be like, they, I remember the mindset of being like, this is so whatever. I don't know. And so that's why I was like, I can't do this anymore. But I remember thinking it made me weak. 
Oh, what an interesting way to put it. Yeah. It made you weak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is something kind of perverse about it. And when I find my, but on the other hand, let me just say just a little word here for our, for our former colleagues. There is also something about that kind of community of sorrow that is built in the wake of that. And that's one thing that journalism does do. The coverage yesterday of the Uvalde, the one year mm-hmm. anniversary of the, uh, again, I, I had to, I was driving and I was listening to an NPR report from there and some of the parents talking about their children. There is a function there. There is a reason for journalism to exist. And I know that you probably did stories like that as well, where people want to, I mean, we, we would not have known about these children to that extent had an NPR journalist not been there. Absolutely. But that said, I had to pull off the side of the road because I was just overwhelmed. Right. When I, you just hear these stories and you think of what, I have no idea how people negotiate the kinds of grief that they endure yeah. with, with, with the, the loss of a small child. It's just, so we did good work. We did good work. I'm telling you. I agree. You. <laughs> I mean, there's, you know, I, I talked about often how I would put together crime statistics and then the, the idea mm. would be to push the mayor to, you know, make some changes, create more, you know, like it, it had its purpose, but yeah, it was just hard mentally. And I would all the time sort of feel a little bit like I had given up, which is why I want to ask. So, yeah. So, I mean, there's some parts of your book that, you know, you talk a lot about grit and like that you, you know, that you are sort of, that there's like a, a thing about like not quitting because, and it's seen as, strength or something like can you explain like the idea of grit and where that came from yeah I began to really become a little suspicious of our veneration of grit the way we celebrate it so you know people who are tough and people who hang in there and who never give up I really began to kind of raise an eyebrow at that and began to explore the history of that I mean everything has an origin story I always say not just superheroes Mm -hmm. you know ideas have origin stories too they come from somewhere all of our cultural ideas and the idea of grit really began to really take hold in the middle of the 19th century when a man named Samuel Smiles in London in 1859 wrote a book called Self-Help with Illustrations of Character and Conduct. And it was the first time anyone had really codified this idea that to be successful, you have to hang in there and stick with it and never, never quit. To my mind, that really initiated a a quite insidious idea in our culture. The idea being, if you are rich, you have worked harder than other people. If you are poor, you have quit. You've given up. You're weak. You're cowardly. You're lazy. There's something wrong with you. You're a, you're a sniveling loser. And that's what I really want to push back against. That's, that's really was the kind of the, the, the kind of emotional heart of the book is to say, that isn't true. It's a way of demonizing the poor it's a way of marginalizing people who are struggling and telling them it's their fault. And that really serves the people in power. That means that we we have no responsibility to help the less fortunate. Well, why would we? They, they're just lazy. Why look at them? You can just tell by looking at them. And that, to me, is really, really one of the worst and kind of meanest parts of our culture right now is this idea of blaming people for things that are not their responsibility. People, as we know, are born, you, you might be born black or brown in this predominantly white culture. You may be born in the midst of intergenerational poverty, like like many of the people I know back in West Virginia. You may be born with profound physical or intellectual or emotional disabilities. We are born with all kinds of, of impediments that we have to deal with throughout our lives. And this idea of grit, though, reduces everything to whether or not you hung in there. And it's this artificial standard. And there's such a shame then, there's such shame attached to quitting. 
And that's what we do to the poor. That's where I think it dovetails with with the issues you you deal with is what does it mean to not have a lot of money? If you're not Elon Musk and you're not Bill Gates, does that mean you're a quitter? Does that mean you're lazy? Does that mean you press the snooze button too many times on your alarm clock? No. Often we're just, it's just plain bad luck. I mean, I have a whole chapter on just bad luck. Things happen to us in the world that we didn't cause. People who are, whose, whose, whose homes are blown away by a hurricane didn't choose that. People that have unfortunate things happen to them didn't choose it. So that's kind of my long-winded manifesto for why I really wanted to write the book and push back against this idea that if you don't follow through, you're a bad person because you're not. It makes sense with, you know, we talk about like disability inspiration porn, where it's like, if you have something (laughs) terrible happen to you, you better like rise above and become an Olympic swimmer. Or like, you know, if you have, if, if you have a terrible tragedy, you have to turn it into becoming some sort of motivational speaker or, you know, it's like, it's like this idea that if you don't take the bad thing that happened to you and turn it into work or, or persevere, then you're not worthy of even, even you're not worthy of, of life. I mean, even the idea, you know, you see these things where it's like this mother of three is pregnant and she's working into her ninth month at McDonald's and she's the employee of the month. And we're like, and if she had just like gone home and laid down, we would have been like, fuck you. (laughs) Yeah, right. Right. No, no, no. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Where you've got to be chipper and cheerful and hang in there. Uh, Meeting some arbitrary standard of of not only behavior, but also attitude, where you've always got to be happy. And in fact, we used to joke around the newspaper newspaper offices, perhaps you and your colleagues did as well. Like just once you wanted to interview somebody who had had a terrible calamity and having them say, damn it, this is terrible. It's awful. Instead of like, when life gave her lemons, she made lemonade. Well, right. no, sometimes you just want to suck on the lemon for a little bit. <laughs> your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Teams buried in manual work, taking forever to close the books. Getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, you should know these numbers. 37,025-1. 37,000. That's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. If you have all the information about your business in one place, you can make way better decisions. And this is an unprecedented offer, meaning this is totally worth your time. As someone who runs a business, having all of this together in order to close my books, that would be invaluable. It's a time saver. It's literally the biggest time saver. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. That's netsuite.com slash badwithmoney to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. Have you been using Mint to manage your finances? First, the bad news. Mint is shutting down. Now, good news. There's a better alternative. Monarch Money. Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it. That's right. 
I use Mint and now I'm using Monarch Money. It is very stressful, confusing, and time consuming to manage my finances. I've tried other finance apps. They don't really work. Like, you know, I was very committed to Mint and then I was uh, deeply sad when Mint went away. But now I have tried Monarch. It's so easy to use with powerful features, collaboration tools, intuitive design, personalization, constant product improvements. I mean, I really value a company that is proactively looking at how to make finances easier. Did you know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce? Monarch, the top rated personal finance app, also has built-in collaboration features so that you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Can you imagine being able to have a budget app with your partner? That is wild. You can see all your finances. You can collaborate on your budget. You can get insights on your cash flow and reoccurring transactions. It's a very easy way to manage a household's finances. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has a tool that allows you to easily import your data from Mint and keep all your tags and categories. Monarch is the most customizable budget app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. We will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y slash badmoney for your extended 30-day free trial. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. But you know, W.B. Du Bois, the great black scholar, he made the same point at the time when he was writing about African-Americans who were, who were trying to rise and facing all kinds of prejudice. He said, people will always point to what he called the talented 10th. Yeah. They would look at people who had made it and they'd say, well, look at there, look at there. Well, everything's fine. What do you mean? We don't have a problem with race in this country. Model minorities. Yes, the, the very, very top, top, top. And we do the same with people who maybe don't have these chipper, cheerful attitudes all the time mm -hmm. and are always striving and never quitting. And it's this artificial standard and everybody else we kind of put down and say, well, again, you brought it on yourself. That's that's the line, isn't it? We always mm -hmm. use, well, you, you did this to yourself. Have you seen a change? Because it was interesting to read in the book about like the history of self-help and then how that sort of became a thing of like persevering and grit and all that stuff. And then now you see kind of a switch where it's like self-care and it's like places like the nap ministry or like, hey, hey, babe, just just quit. <laughs> Self-care yes, yes. is quit. Have you seen that it, shift? It is. It, well, I wouldn't call it a shift quite yet. It's been a kind of an incremental, gradual thing. And you'll see more essays these days about, hey, I just couldn't take it. This this job was like bad for my mental health. So I just dropped out. You know, Harry and Megan. Yeah, this is mm -hmm. just too much for me. We can't take this where, where mental health is being prized now. 
I would love that. I hope it is a shift. I hope you're right. I hope you're prescient and we're going to see all of this happen now where people recognize that there is no arbitrary standard of behavior. It's what's right for you. We're all different. Mm -hmm. We all think differently. We see the world differently. We know from neuroscience, we even see color differently. Mm -hmm. You know, the way you see blue is different from how I see blue. Mm -hmm. I hope that you're right. My fear, though, is that it's it's a little bit, it's kind of we're coming out of the pandemic, so we're giving each other a little more leeway, but I already see it changing back a little bit. So, some of the some of the good things we would see employers do, some of the leeway they are giving people, I, I, it's kind of shifting back a little bit. I would love it, though, that if, and it would take, of course, a terrible thing like a global pandemic mm-hmm. to initiate a new era when that is the case, when people can leave jobs that aren't working out, leave relationships that aren't working out, leave political philosophies, leave religious beliefs that aren't Mm -hmm. working and switch to ones that that are better for them, for the individual. Thinking about, you know, there's this tweet that I always talk about that I should really figure out who did it, but it was like, imagine being born and like doing taxes and stuff instead of just like eating fruit and vibing. And like, I think there's like this (laughs) thing that's like, Okay, there's this difference that is like quitting for a dream. So like I'm going to quit my corporate job and start to do drag and I'm going to live my dream of being a drag queen (laughs) versus I'm quitting to do nothing. (laughs) Yes, yes. Right. The kind of lap full of Cheetos crumbs is what I call the the latter. Right. Or you're going to do nothing. Yes. But, you know, you I'm glad you mentioned that about quitting for a dream, because that's in a way that's just as onerous as to say that if you quit or change, it has to be because you have this grand vision of what you want to do. You know, I want to sell my screenplay. I want to No, sometimes sometimes maybe if you're, you know, working at the Home Depot, you want to go work at the Ace Hardware instead Mm -hmm. that you can. It's incremental change. That's what I mean about the quasi quit. You can quit something and then go to something that's just a little bit different. You don't have to quit to, as you say, you know, or maybe do your do your one woman Broadway show. Mm -hmm. Great. That's great if that's your dream, but it might not be. Mm -hmm. And it and all dreams have have validity and power and magic to them, even if they're not big, spectacular showbiz dreams. I mean, I was a television critic for many years and they'd be interviewing these stars, with the, my, my colleagues and I, and a, a sibling or, or, or a relation to the star would come along and somebody would say, well, now, what do you do? Are you writing your screenplay? Are you? And one kid said, no, I want to be a paleontologist. And everybody kind of went, oh, and turned away. And mm-hmm. it's like, wait a minute, that's a perfectly fine dream. Mm-hmm. It's just not a showbiz dream. Yeah, it's just not a you know professional sports person dream. Right, it's a, a dream dream. Right, my sister and I often have this conversation because I've always kind of wanted to be a writer, and that's been my thing forever. And like, I got a lot of praise for knowing what I want to do with my life, and she has had she's gone in all different directions. She worked on the business end of a porn website, which she really enjoyed doing. She got to travel. She now works at, she's a bar manager, which is like a promotion she just got that she's really proud of and like all this stuff. And I think there's this, there was this beating drum of like, well, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do with your life? And it's like, maybe what she wants to do with her life is she likes being a bar manager. There is still this consistent drumbeat for her of like, well, when are you going to open your own place? Right. And she may change. Yeah. 50 more times. And that's fine. That's that's another thing I argue for in the book. But let change. Change is good. But you're quite right about saying that if you have your dream from early on, that is so praised. That's so my sister and I, I have a sister, too. We used to we used to joke about the fact that you'd read about a dancer who would say, from the first moment I put on my toe shoes, I realized I have found my life. Mm-hmm. And my sister and I would always look at each other and say, when does that come? Mm-hmm. When, when do you? I mean, what? that's wonderful if you know from the very beginning. 
but sometimes you don't. And like I said, as I said, your sister might change her, her profession 50 more times. And that's perfectly fine. But people make her feel like shit about it or they want to know yeah. what the next yeah. thing is. Like now she's the bar manager. And like I said, they, they go, well, what's your next goal? What's your next goal? And it's like, what if she just likes being a bar manager? Boy, do I, I, I hear we, we, we become a prisoner sometimes of this idea that you have to have the, the big expectation and the big, the big job and the big, as if the present moment alone isn't, isn't enough. And I, I would love to be more in the present moment. I think that's like one of the great, one of the great uh, glorious things in the world. If you can live in the present moment, I've only known a few people who are able to really do it. We all say we do it, but we're lying. Most people don't do it at all. Most of us are always looking to the next thing. But when you have that, the, the peace that comes with that. And again, I don't mean the peace of the Cheetos crumbs, you know, watching Netflix. I mean the peace of knowing who you are and it's enough in that moment. You know, celebrating the way the way you think about things, how the color blue looks to you. And it doesn't have to look like anything else. It's just what it is in the moment. I love people who quit to do nothing. I think that that's great. I. It's funny, like we were talking about my sister and I, if if our parents we were watching uh, again, I'm going to bring up succession again. I did it in the last interview, but we mm-hmm. were like, if I I love writing, I love my work. But I was saying to her, if we had rich parents, would you do anything? And she was like, mm. absolutely not. And I was like, <laughs> I think I also would choose to do absolutely nothing like and that's like it's just comes from needing money that we've been that we started out our lives being like, yes, what? Yes. OK, what are we going to do as a job? What are we going to do as a job that, you know, that occurs to me probably maybe 20 times an episode when I'm watching Succession. I think, you know what, at this point, if I were Shiv and my brothers had just done that, you know what I would do? I would say, see you later. You know, she's got all the money in the world. So why not just go lay on a beach somewhere for a while? Truly, and, uh, Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that occurs to me several times an episode. Why, why put up with this when you have the money? Cause we do work for money. Right. And I know we love this idea that we also, we, we do, we want the sense of purpose and mission in our lives, but really it's the, the paycheck and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I think you need a new podcast because I was, I was listening to one of your podcasts. How about one called paycheck to paycheck? Yeah. And that's it. You just interview people that live. Okay. People say, well, there's no safety net. Well, there's no safety net at all. Anyway, we're all going to die in the end. Anyway, let's face it. I mean, that's it. You know, hundred percent mortality, right? Yeah. Long enough timeline, we all die. So living paycheck to paycheck means you live in the moment and you do the best you can. Yeah. I mean, that's the question, right? With quitting is like people, you say, why don't you just quit if you don't like it? And it's like, well, where's the money going to come from? Yeah. Yeah. that You can't. You can't. I mean, many times I've been in job situations that haven't been to my liking and I've gotten right close to the edge and think, boy, I'm just going to go and tell the editor off. And I have it in my mind. It's like a movie scene. I'm going to walk in there and I'm just going to tell him it's going to be so eloquent. In fact, when I finish and I resign and I walk out of this office, my colleagues who've been listening will stand up and they will applaud me. (laughs) They will applaud. But it'll be like that moment in Jerry Maguire when I say, who's with me? Who's with me? And they all sit back down their desk yeah. and they won't make eye contact anymore. Yes, yeah. that's what will happen. No, but I think your point's really well taken. Somehow we've we've acted like there is something a little bit shabby and dirty about working for your paycheck. And it's like, no, that's just fine. Yeah. I'm just remembering this this thing where the JetBlue flight attendant quit and then just and then just unrolled the slide. And just yeah. <laughs> exited yeah. the plane. Yeah. And everybody was like, so into it, I think at the time. There are those lovely moments, the quitting moments. We you know, I have a chapter about that, about quitting moments in movies like yeah. Jennifer Aniston and Office Space. And, and really a lot of our great literature. This is why I think quitting is really at the heart 
of what we are as human beings, what we mm-hmm. aspire to, what we don't aspire to. There are these great moments in literature. Captain Ahab can't quit. He has to go after the great white whale. Yeah. He can't quit. He is trapped. So our, our tragic heroes can't quit. Hamlet can't stop trying to avenge the death of his father. He can't. He wants to. So the fact that our literature is so involved with quitting makes your point that it's really right there in the center of at the center of what we do. And I think all of us have that movie scene in our minds of when we're when we're quitting. Now we often don't achieve it. It's usually a little more low market than that when we when we quit. Yeah. We go in and say, I've I've taken another job. And they usually say, Oh, okay, well, thanks. See ya. Yeah. Right. <laughs> or they're pissed or whatever, but yeah, I belong to a subreddit of just people posting themselves trying to quit and their bosses being like furious about it. Yes, yes, right. Well, it'll yeah, the timing and the and the time and the situation matters, but I do think that quitting is right at the heart of who we are because it's yes, we need we need, you know, we we like food in our bellies and a roof over right. our head and we like to be able to buy the occasional book. Mm-hmm. So, we have to have a job. We support ourselves. Yeah. We're not we're not independently wealthy. We're not we're not chivroy. Right. More's the pity. But it's more than that too. It does our self-image. And by that I don't mean that our job is our self-image. I mean that quitting becomes our self-image. Right. How we would see ourselves if we quit. Exactly. The 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 idea of being a quitter. And like I want to talk about too like impulsivity and regret, right? Like a lot of these scenes, mm. people one thing happens and people are like, I'm done. And like, I, you know, it's hard to know, I guess for me as someone with bipolar disorder, sometimes it's hard to know, like, when is it like I'm quitting and this is good? Or when is it like tomorrow I'm going to be like, that was super impulsive. I regret every choice I've ever made. Yeah. You know, is it regret? It's like the worst emotion ever. I, I, I wrote about biography. That was my subject for my dissertation. And I realized when I read too many biographies, what was happening in my own life was it's as if I had a little biographer sitting on my shoulder and I would do something. It would be like, and then I could imagine the next chapter. And then she regretted that for the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. You know, and that I, I became sort of obsessed with pre-regret. Mm-hmm. So I was sort of afraid to do something like that. Like if a situation wasn't working out or, you know, sometimes friendships don't work out. You're, you're not getting anything out of it. And you kind of say, I think this is about as, I, I, let's just either, or, or you ghost someone, you know, you just yeah. don't return the phone call or something or a text. But, but the moment, say, say you do like actually say like, well, this just isn't really, you know, I don't think we're really... And then later it'd be like, oh, then you're going to be all cold and lonely and sad the next day and think, oh, why did I? Regret is like the worst emotion I can think of. It's 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 worse than anything. Mm-hmm. And I know what you mean. Sometimes you want to have the grand operatic moment of quitting, but then there's always that fear of regret, that kind of pre-regret. And that balance between leaving a situation that isn't working out, you know, but when you when you when you thought about it and or very patient, kind of methodical coming to that decision, talking with people, you know, getting advice from other people and and kind of looking at it in the context of your whole life mm-hmm. and all that. And it's one of those things where only the individual can decide. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I do believe there are some times when the operatic moment is called for, but there are other times when it is the wrong thing to do. And making that decision and that balance really is, to me, it's, it's kind of what maturity is all about, because certainly mm-hmm. I have had those moments, very immature moments when I think when I have when I have done that. And the left situations in in that kind of grand manner. So that's part of just kind of becoming a grown up person is deciding which. And both of them have their value at various times. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to eleven grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. 
Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today. I have to learn how to how to take my time and not just light bridges on fire as I go. But I have, to, I have had to learn. Yeah, like if you're if you want to quit, you're not saying go tomorrow and quit your job. We're saying like think about it and put together a plan. But like there's no shame in quitting. Exactly. Yeah, that's beautifully put. It both are true. Both can be true. That's my new favorite phrase now. Is both can be true. Because mm-hmm. I was calling a, a friend of mine asking for advice the other day, and every everything I brought up, I, I presented it as these absolute dichotomies, mm-hmm. completely stark, totally opposed dichotomies. And she would always say, "No, both can be true." And again, as you say, both can be true. Mm-hmm. You can do both, but you do have to. I mean, I, I quote a physician in the book toward the end who counsels people in the healthcare industry who, who, who want to leave. Certainly in the wake of the pandemic, when things got so difficult for our healthcare providers, mm-hmm. physicians, um, nurses, healthcare administrators, people at all levels, patient care techs, people were being abused, people were being, I mean, things were really bad. People would come to him and say, I want to quit. He works at Northwestern University Hospital. And that was his job as a physician. He was a physician counselor. And his reply, and this sounds like something you might say, he would say to them, quit to what? What mm-hmm. What's on the other side of the quit? And he'd say, a lot of people, they knew. They had thought about it and they said, well, it's going to be this. But but often they were just, they kind of had it. They'd had one bad day. And he would always say to them, you're wanting to, if you're wanting to quit because of one bad day, you're not ready. But this one bad day might be the culmination of all these others. Mm-hmm. So that's that was always his question to them. Mm-hmm. Quit to what? And he said, if you can answer that question, what lies on the other side of the quit, then yes, you're ready to go. I'll support you 100%. But just give it some thought and put it in the entire context of your life. What What's going to lie on the other side of this? Not in terms of the regret, but I mean, just logistically, what lies on the other side of this quitting moment? Yeah, because also, you know, I'm in a lot of subreddits about money and work and things like that. And there's people who their job is all they do. And it is their mental health is in the trash. Like yeah. it's so much of what we yeah. do during the day. That like it's people who are like and and th- this is what they're saying. I'm going to kill myself. It can get really dire. Mm-hmm. I know that I because I'm prone to. Uh, I used to call it melodrama, but I think I was probably giving myself too much credit. Sometimes where it would get so bad. I mean, even like in a in a in a uh, I had an editor that that uh, you know made a change in a story and introduced an error. And you probably know from your own journalism career, having somebody introduce an error. I mean, I make enough of my own errors. I don't need anybody introducing them. But often, if uh, your listeners who aren't journalists uh, realize that that anything that gets in the paper has gone through about three or four different editors, yeah. you know, by, by that time. If someone introduces an error, it's got my name on it. Yep. So readers often don't know that, you know, that wasn't me. I didn't I didn't get that wrong. But I was so angry at this one editor. And I realized I was just kind of irrationally upset. Mm-hmm. And so I would, I, you know, I went outside the paper. This was the Chicago Dream. I'm walking up and down the street walking very fast. I often find kind of a release of physical energy to really help. And I, and I couldn't go, you know, to a treadmill or a rowing right. machine at the moment. So I just walked really fast up and down Michigan Avenue. There is a, a real emotional component to things that are going wrong at work. Mm-hmm. And being, I, I, I've gotten a little better at, at being a little more measured and a little more poised with it, a little more patient, but it's still there. And I know that's a really, really difficult thing to deal with because our work is so important. Mm-hmm. It, it's everything. It's how we, again, not only how we define ourselves, but it's the roof over our head yeah. and how we, how we keep ourselves afloat in this world. So yeah. it's, it, it's, 
there's no way of 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 overemphasizing how important that job is and that terrible moment when emotions kind of get the better of us. Or even doctors, you know, oftentimes like as a screenwriter, I'm like, oh, I can't figure out this this story point or something or, oh, I don't think I did a good job in this podcast interview. And then I, I'm like, well, nobody died. Like I'm not a brain surgeon, <laughs> you know, but it is important in the sense that like, oh, I misrepresented a, a group or something, you know, that is like not uh, not good. But yeah, I think like I would it's funny to be like, well, you you did all this work to go to medical school and you did all this work to, you know, whatever. And then it's like, it's like, yeah, but if you fuck up, like people die. So like, I can totally yes. see why you'd be like, I'm going to go work at a bank. Like, yes, yes. But even then you got their money. You've you know, got my their sister money. works in a bank and it's it's incredible pressure on her because mm -hmm. she just feels so, you know, she it, it's people's money and people will get very upset about their money as they should, yes. which you know relates to your show. Mm -hmm. And that's what she'll say. She'll say, I understand why they're upset, but they get so they're really not listening. You know, she'll be saying to them, that's, that's not a problem right here. Let me tell you why. And we'll get this straightened out and we can, and they don't want to hear it because they're so upset. And I have been that person. I always tell her, I sympathize with the people who are calling her angry right. because- you know, you call up your, your app and you're looking at it and there's something wrong and there's yeah. been a mistake and you just panic. You yeah. just absolutely, the deposit's not in there. It's supposed to be direct deposit. What the, what am I going to do? Because I know I've got, you know, Bills, automatic yeah. debits coming out of it. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, there's really no such thing as an overreaction. Mm -hmm. Again, there's your reaction and somebody else is calling it an overreaction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to read one part that I really liked that was like, that notion goes against virtually everything we're taught to believe about the resiliency of champions, about their nonstop drive and relentless sense of purpose. And this is, I think you're talking about like, and it made me think of Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka and people who have been like, I just don't want to do sports anymore. But maybe resilience can mean more than just overcoming obstacles, more than just clenching your fists and ignoring pain and powering your way through. Maybe resilience paradoxically can also mean the willingness to quit. And I want to talk about that, like, aspect of it and also like you just didn't try like those types of things like what like what why I just it's just so funny to be like we want to celebrate people who are gritting their teeth and like powering through we do indeed in fact the Simone Biles example is the one as you know that I use in the book when she decided that she just couldn't participate in the finals of the Tokyo Olympics. She mm -hmm. decided she wasn't ready. Her mind, body, and spirit, she wasn't ready. And that field, you know, gymnastics at that elite level right. is a matter of life and death. Mm -hmm. the, 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 her performance could involve catastrophic injury or mm -hmm. even death if she wasn't right. And she knows her body. I mean, an athlete at that her level, mm -hmm. you know, one of the greatest athletes in history, knows. So I compare her to a honeybee. Mm -hmm. A honeybee, which will sting, a honeybee will sting to defend the nest and will die if it, it eviscerates her, the, the, the stinging. It's only the females that sting. If the nest is not worth protecting, which is something the honeybee senses, or if the predator is not really that much of a threat, the honeybee won't sting. Mm -hmm. The honeybee will stand down. And the comparison I make there to Simone Biles is my point being animals use quitting as a survival technique. Right. And, and so should we. We need to listen to our bodies and our minds. They tell us when it's time to quit and time to let go. And the elite athletes you mentioned that many of have said, Simone Biles and others have said, all right, I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. Ash Barty, the Australian tennis player. Roy McElroy, the professional golfer, has recently said, you know, I'm going to just back off a little bit here. I'm going to just take it. They know their bodies and their minds and their spirits, and they know when it's time. Now, 
Some people don't like that, and they're called quitters. Mm -hmm. I think it was, well, a lot of commentators really came down very hard on Simone Biles, Mm -hmm. which I think was just terrible. For one thing, it's her decision, always her decision. Mm -hmm. But part of the thing she was accused of is letting down her team, you know, letting Mm -hmm. down. And I think it's quite the contrary. I think that when you do what's right for you, which might include quitting, you are doing what's right for the people around you, for your family members, for the people you love, that I, I call it quitting your way to resiliency. Instead of thinking of resiliency as not quitting, Quitting often is the way you show your resilience and you say, I'm going to choose another path here because this present one isn't working for me. And athletes often lead the way in that. That's why I think that it, it's, it's, uh, those examples are good, even though most of us will never be doing what a Simone Biles does. But we can look at her example and see, I mean, she wanted to participate in those finals. I mean, she came to Tokyo thinking she was going to, you know, be the great Olympic champion she had been. And I, I again, I think she was never a greater champion than when she said, I'm not ready. I can't do this right now. This is not right for my body and mind. Or people just who are like, I'm going to quit because I want to spend more time with my kids or I'm not, I'm actually not doing my family any favors by being this yes. upset all the time or being this tired or. Well, and you know, you will hear people say, well, I would do this or that. I would quit this or that, but I have this family to think of. And I always say, you've got it completely backwards. Mm-hmm. The reasons you quit something that are, realize are having a bad impact on you and making a person you don't want to be is because of your family. Yeah. It's backwards. Your family is the reason you quit, yeah. not the reason you don't quit. Your family is the reason you decide that you are worth a better life. Mm-hmm. You are worth a life where your mind and body and spirit and soul are in harmony. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if, you know, I think like we're saying, don't just quit randomly, but trying to find, I mean, it's hard to find a job, but I think also trying to find, uh, try, having a plan to to quit if you don't have the money or the resources in order to like, just do it. Like you, you know, people want to be stay at home moms, but they can't, or they want to be stay at home dads and little league coaches and stuff, but they can't. I'm being very gender essentialist right now, but, (laughs) but yeah, you know, like they, I think I could hear them listening to this being like, I'd love to quit, but I can't because there aren't jobs available. True in a sense. But again, that's where the quasi quitting comes in. So try to craft something, you know, maybe, maybe they're going to be the one that comes up with that way to, to be able to accommodate all these different aspects of their life. I don't know what it's going to be because that's not my situation, but I, I totally take your point. I mean, yes, we all have ways that we wish we could structure our lives, but maybe with creativity and imagination, we can. One of the things I talk about in the book a lot is this is abundance. I mean, I come from a very kind of dark, cynical sort of family. And I don't mean that as a criticism. If you're listening, it's just that we're all kind of like, yeah, well, that'll never work out. Yeah, well, you're lucky they pay you for a job. You're lucky that. So I try to turn that around. And for me, quitting cynicism has been huge and saying, because I have, I have some friends who are wonderful about saying, well, instead of thinking that the worst is going to happen, let's say the best. Try to craft the life that you want and use that as your template. I mean, that kind of as your as your aspirational goal instead of just, well, that's never going to believing in abundance, believing that there is a better way, that there is going to be something that's going to emerge, a way to, as I said, kind of weave together all these disparate elements of one's life, the time you want to spend with your children, the time you want to spend maybe with with an older loved one, you know, an older parent. That's a, that's a terrible dilemma that a lot of people have now is like, I, I know my mom or dad, they're not going to be around forever. So but I don't have the time to do that. I live halfway across the country. I had all of these, but to craft, to use imagination, to craft a way of being that does accommodate all of these different aspects of oneself. And quitting can be part of that, taking away the shame, taking away, put when you're putting together this idea, taking away the 
the shame of like quitting as being part of that strategy. Yes, because shame. Oh, that word, shame. It's That's what I was going to say. Yeah, that I think Ugh. there's like, well, it all comes down to like this denial around the American dream for me a lot of times on this show, which is like, which is like, oh, like, you know, you work hard and you get these things, which, by the way, you can't, the cost of living makes it so you really can't have that same life that people did in the 50s or whatever. But like, you know, that there's this American dream idea of like working really hard and, you know, and like, what if I disappoint people? You know, what if people are are mad at me? And you go really into detail about parents saying, I did this for you, which like comes right. up a lot when I talk to the, you know, parents of of uh, children of immigrants. And like, how can we have a better reaction to people quitting? Like, if it's like, you know, people are worried about, oh, everyone's going to say that they're disappointed in me. I was even thinking about like, I used to play piano when I was a kid. And like, I have this mentality where I'll play like the one song I remember. And then I'll be like, oh, it's a shame I didn't stick to it. Like, it's a shame my parents couldn't force me to stick to it. And it's like, what? It, what is that? Like, how can we have a better reaction to like our kids or to like our friends or to like people quitting? Yes, that, that is really that, you know, I have that whole chapter there on what if you're a parent and your kid comes to you and says, I don't want to play soccer anymore. I hate it. Or I don't these, these trombone lessons. They're killing me. Get me out of here. So true. What do you do? You want your kid to be you don't want people just to quit things willy nilly. You know, it's to your point earlier. We don't just just quit like uh, out of the blue and letting people down. But on the other hand, that can initiate a really great conversation about what is it about? Why is this not working? Do you just not like to practice? Do you just not like to? Often it will listen in the people that I talk to, and I should make the point that the book isn't just me. It's just a lot of interviews with people because I, I don't have near the wisdom that just the average person who's trying to negotiate life has. But we absolutely do in the United States, particularly this push, push, push idea. It's this capitalist idea, but you've got to acquire more. You've got to make more so you can buy more. And then you buy more so you can buy still more. And you've got to have, you know, not just one SUV, but two, not just a medium-sized house, but a huge house, bigger and bigger and bigger. That's what we do. And that's what we push. And if that's not your mentality, that's not what brings you pleasure and joy in life, you know, beating the other guy and being highly competitive. It can be, it can be a very difficult time because you are, you, you have that stigma of the loser and the quitter when often you're not really a quitter. What you are is somebody that wants to lead a different kind of a life. But I do think that looking at these issues of quitting and how you individually feel about them can initiate some really interesting and productive conversations with the people that you live your life with, the people maybe you're responsible for, if it's children or older people, um, or the people you've chosen to surround yourself with. And what what is it that this job or this or this 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 place that I'm in, what am I getting out of this? And and what are my responsibilities to other people? That quitting really is a catalyst for a lot of these other conversations. I know it's just hard because I think people are it's like admitting that you were wrong. And like after, you know, we had someone write into my other show talking about law school and it's like admitting you were wrong, spending, having spent that money, which is like sunk cost fallacy. And then the very public nature of like going to, you know, I mean, I, I got engaged last July. We broke up in November and it was, I remember we were in the process of breaking up and I had a, a very tragic fam family loss. Someone died in my family in October and I was wearing the engagement ring and stuff. And at the funeral, everyone was like, I heard you got engaged. And it was like, I had to see every a cousins, every fucking person. Oh, when is the wedding? I heard you got engaged, all this stuff. And uh, like, I didn't know that we were breaking up, but I also like when we were breaking up, I was like, it's so funny. I just saw these people a month ago 
and they like are all, you know, thinking that they're going to be going to this wedding. And so it's like this very public sort of like, not just because I'm a public figure and I, and we pulled the plug, but because like now I had uh, like, you know, everyone has to be like, oh, we just saw Gabe and, and now, and then there's like, and then when you tell them the news, it's like, oh, you know, and then somehow that, oh, is like, isn't that the worst thing in the world that, oh, yeah. Like it's so, it was so public, even if I wasn't a public figure, it was so public with regards to family. Family. I know. Family. Even that one word. I find that's my answer to so much now when I'll just be talking with friends and everything. Somebody will say, yeah, family. And we all go, ah, yeah, yeah, really. Public quitting is a huge thing, as you say, not just as a public figure, which you are, but also just people knowing about our lives and commenting on our lives. And it's very, very tough. If you've left a job, particularly, particularly if it had any kind of sort of charisma, prestige, that's a better word. I was going to say charisma, but I was going to say, oh, is that, that is really tough. That is really tough. You know, I've, I've taught at a few places that were very prestigious and people say, oh, are you still at, uh, you still, and I'd say, no, no, I'm, I'm not there anymore. And be this, oh, <laughs> it's just, that's a, oh, that judgmental, oh. And that's kind of the essence of, I mentioned kind of the emotional heart of the book is this notion of how we can get past seeing what we quit or don't quit as a referendum on our, uh, the worth of our souls. And it's really tough. I mean, I'm nowhere near there. I'm not holding myself up as any kind of paragon of having gotten there. I haven't. But what, one of the things I loved about all the conversations and interviews, I did about 150 interviews for the book because I love talking with people about their, li- about their lives, as you do. Get, really getting right down to it. What is it? Why, our, our reason for being here, why we get up in the morning, why we do what we do, how our ideas are formed, how do we decide that we've had a worthwhile day? What's what's make a good day and a bad day? And it gets quitting or not. And what we do, how we spend our time is ultimately, that's the one great freedom we have, how we spend our time, not just where our bodies are, but where our minds are. And that's why I was so intrigued with the notion of quitting. And I found a lot of answers to the to the questions, you know, that you were asking, which and I and I recounted them in the book. People that use various strategies to decide what's going to make their life worthwhile. So at the end of the road, and we all will come to the end of the road, if we said everybody dies, we can look back without that regret, without that terrible regret, and having gotten past the point when we just cringe and shame when somebody gives us that, oh, when we've changed. Because it's not linear. Like I had to grapple with the idea of like, I was getting married, I was moving forward. Now I live I, you know, now I, I live in West Hollywood. I go out a lot more. Like I have, you know, like, and it's like, oh, you're childish again. And it's like, uh, well, no. Or like, oh, you went, you were, went to medical school and you became a doctor and now you're backsliding. This idea of like moving forward versus backsliding. That's a great point. The the linearity of it. I, I, I'd not really thought of it in those terms before, but I think that's a real key that you just came up with there. We like the idea of progress, the idea of this life progress as we go along. And anything that smacks of a, a little glitch in that, either going back a little bit or God forbid sideways, again, it's that judgment that we fear. It's that judgment of people saying, and I know that I, as I said, we're all, we're all vulnerable to that because we all, we do care how we look to others. It'd be great to say like, well, I don't care. I just, I do what I do and uh, to hell with these people and what they think. 
But that's not reality. We do care what we think. We are, we live in the world, we live amidst other people, and we can't be these just kind of single-minded engines of, you know, without any, without any reference to how other people see us. I mean, it is freeing in the sense that like my joke now is like, I'll walk away at any point. I'll walk away. I'll leave you at the aisle. I don't give a fuck. Like, um, all right, all right. Well, it's like try me, weapon, test right? me. <laughs> right, try me. Yeah. Sorry, I can be out of here in a minute. I joked that I was giving a talk the other day. So I said, somebody says, so are you saying we should quit? And I said, I was joking. And I said, uh, yes, right away. Absolutely. When you drive home after this talk today, I want you to, the minute you arrive in your driveway, take out your cell phone, text your partner and say, sorry, honey, I'm out. I said, no, of course not. I'm like, you tr- and I like boyfriend now, I'm like, test me. Say they, like say do one thing wrong. See where I go. Like you, you have pro, you have. Comp, I'll walk away at any point. You piss me off the night before the wedding. I'm gone. It's like I could do it. I could do it. Well, that's what the great you know the Lethal Weapon movies with Mel Gibson. Remember that's what makes him. That's what makes him the the, the great Lethal Weapon because he just doesn't care. He doesn't give a toss. He's like, that's right, fine, do your worst, I don't care. And it gives you this ultimate power, sort of. But of course, you know, we want connections with people. Ultimately, we we do. And you'll 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 get back there. But but I do think that I could just see you saying that to somebody. Yeah, or even like, you know, it was really helpful and I've talked about this before when I've got my first big job, which was at BuzzFeed. And I was 20 this is going to sound like you know, I was 26 when I got that job. Most of my colleagues were 22. So this was their first job out of college. So they were very scared of quitting or getting fired. By the time I worked at BuzzFeed, since I was quote unquote older, I had been fired. I had quit. I had had many jobs where they were like in high school. I got like, like they fired me. Like, you know, I, so like getting fired or quitting wasn't that scary to me versus these people who are like, this is my very first job. Like I can't imagine getting fired or getting quit or, or quitting. And I was like, fire me. I got fired from, I, I have, I mean, I used to be very adversarial with editors, which sometimes worked and sometimes didn't. But like, I, you know, like I would be like, I would, I would had no fear of, I mean, I had fear of getting fired because I needed money, but I but no, like, no, wasn't. In terms of the process, yeah. no, that's a great point. You'd, you'd been there. Yeah, it is really true that when you've been through something a couple of times from getting fired to getting dumped to, to you know, having your, having your checking account be overdrawn, once you've been there one time, it really does give you a, a kind of a, 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 a tougher skin. In fact, there's a great line in one of my favorite Willa Cather novels. She's one of my favorite authors of all time. And it, it talks about the, the, the person saying she would not feel such anguish and hurt again. Ah, she would feel it again. But when it came the next time, it would find a tougher surface. And I love that line. That's because, right, you'd been, yeah, you've been there. It's like, yeah, I, I know I can survive this. This is not going to yeah. kill me. This is not it. My yeah. catering boss fired me because he caught me eating food off the plates. I got no shit. Like, fire me again. You know what I mean? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Can I ask you a t- a tough question? And you don't you can if the answer is you don't know or whatever. I was curious. So like as a trans person, I was very curious about the story, the short part about the woman leave getting left or getting divorced, getting asked for a divorce from her partner who was transitioning. And and I there were some choices in the telling of that anecdote that I bumped on, which was like the choice to use his dead name in the in the in the story and then also the it's interesting because i always see it as like there's a lot of narratives about the person the the trans person doing something to the other person and i was like it's interest more interesting to me or at least felt 
more relevant to be like, this is a person who's quitting gender. Like the story is, is actually like nothing happened to her. It was that this person quit like a, a privileged quote unquote gender to, to go after what they wanted. And it was just an interesting, like, I was surprised by the use of male pronouns for the person who is transitioning and also like the focus on the narrative of like, this is the earthquake or this is the bizarre thing that's happened versus like hearing from the trans person. Well, let me say, no, 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 I tried. I tried. Uh, yeah, she didn't want to. She 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 was going to and kind of went back and forth a little bit and then decided ultimately not to. It was fine to, to for the story to be told, but didn't didn't particularly want to talk to me. So that's how that happened. But I do take your point. I felt kind of apprehensive putting that in, you know, afraid. I mean, that, that particular anecdote, I thought it was a good one just because it was about things that happened to us. But I was kind of apprehensive just for that very reason you're saying, because not ever wanting to cause any offense and of knowing that this is a, a, a world about which I knew little, about which she knew little. But just to, just to be clear, as I said, I did offer her the opportunity to talk if she had wanted to, because I thought, yeah, just as you say, I mean, it is kind of, and now that I'm thinking about it, I, should have probably said that in there, that I had done that. So, you know, maybe for the paperback. Yeah, but good point. And I appreciate your perspective on it because it's, you know, writing about things. It's kind of like white people writing the stories of black people. It's like, I mean, you can do it. I'm not saying, you know, that to me, it was okay for Mark Twain to write the, the character of Jim and Huckleberry Finn. I don't have a problem with that. N however, I can only say that from the position of somebody who lives in 2023, and we have a lot more Black authors who have opportunities to write from, from the perspective of a particular race. And it, it, it's, so it's, it's such a fraught moment for what we think of as diversity. I think, think neurodiversity is such an amazing thing that we now recognize that people think differently and we can allow. Those stories all need to be told. As long as all stories need to be told, it's okay for a story to be told from one perspective. But when only the one perspective is told, that's what the problem is. But I take your point on that. And I probably should have pointed out that she had that she had said it was, yeah, okay, tell the story. You know, you can tell it from Chris's perspective. But I, I didn't particularly want she said she didn't want to add her her perspective in there. But I think there are that. good and I appreciate that. I think there are good narratives too. like I'm reading Whipping Girl by Julia Serrano. And it's like very much about the the relinquishing or quitting of sort of like this this idea of like male privilege and like, quote unquote, male privilege and like giving that up and stuff and like that being viewed as when people are transphobic being like, why would you, or trans misogynistic, why, why would you give that up? Why would you give that up? And that's like, I think to me, a great example of, of when quitting is actually <laughs> necessary and good. Yes. Well, that's what I mean. The, the positive kind of quitting. I mean, it's, it's often rendered as negative when people are quitting. The first thing, if you Google quitting, the first thing that comes up is like smoking, quitting drugs, quitting this and that. And I mean it, of course, in a positive way, as in, and again, mindset. You know, I mentioned earlier, like quitting cynicism. And I know some of your listeners may be thinking, well, what is that? How hard can that be? Oh, quitting an attitude, quitting a, a way you've seen the world is, is the most difficult thing. And I have, to, I have to renew that every day, renew my vows every day and say, don't look at it that way. Because it's so easy to slip back into that is seeing everything as, you know, every the, the dark inside every cloud. And the, it's it's very, very hard. And particularly when it's been the whole mindset, you know, the kind of family feeling has always been a little on the darker side. So 
quitting a mindset can be the hardest thing in the world. And I'm sure that's true for, say, certain kinds of bigotry. When you say to people, well, just, that's ridiculous. Your bigotry is ridiculous. Well, it's hard for them. And uh, I'm not saying they shouldn't (laughs) change at all, but I'm saying like recognizing that that's not going to come just by, you know, a little pat on the head and say, you know, we're all good people. No, it's going to be much tougher than that. We have a, we have a long, long way to go. Yeah, I appreciate it. And this is like such a great conversation. I really enjoyed the book. So I, where can my listeners like find you and the book and, and more about your work? It's uh, juliakeller.net is my website. I love uh, hearing from people. I get a lot, I've already gotten a lot of letters on the, on the book, uh, emails, which is really, really nice. I, I love it. People, everybody has a quitting story. So I'd, I'd love to hear your quitting story. Everybody does. They have really interesting ones. It worked out. No, no, no. It worked out. It didn't work out. I love people's stories. I love it. As I said, if I were trapped only inside my own my own story, which is pretty pretty damn dull, frankly, that would be that that would be my heaven. Would be people telling me their stories all day long. The book is quitting a life strategy. I, I love for people to read it. Contact me. It's juliakeller.net, and love to hear from anyone. Perfect. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. This has been absolutely delightful. Bad with Money with Gabe Shane Dunn is a production of Noted Bisexual. Produced by Melissa D. Monts and Diamond M. Print Productions. Edited by Diane King. Post-production sound by Coco Lorenz. And music by Mike Kaplan, Zach Sherwin, and Jack Dolgen, as sung by Sam Barbera. Thank you. Love you. Bye. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.